0: Welcome to Grazy Hear's Life on the Land Podcast Summer Series, where members of the GrazyHer team pick their favourite podcast episode from the last 12 months. Hope you enjoy another look at these amazing stories. Hi, my name is Sally and I look after advertising here at Grazier. My favourite Life on the Land episode this year has been with Kim Story. The floods last year were phenomenal. And the story about Kim and her community, you just have to listen to it to believe it. I also was affected by floods, but nothing nothing compares to what these guys went through. I spoke to Kim a little while ago about her online store, the Little Farmer's Store. Um, And if you're looking for a store to support or looking for some great kids things, please go online and have a look. But in the meantime, enjoy the episode with Kim. G'day, welcome to Life on the Land, a Crazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living across rural and remote Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for today. There isn't much you can do to prepare for a one in 5,000 year flood event. In an unprecedented crisis, you don't know and couldn't possibly predict the absolute scale of destruction. This was the experience for farmer Kim Storey and her nearby town Yugara, a small rural community in the Lachlan Valley of central west New South Wales, which was wiped out on November 14, 2022, when an inland tsunami took the valley by surprise. To get some perspective of the scale, here are some numbers. 11.2. This is the metres that the official peak of the flood rose to, half a metre higher than anticipated. 150, the number of people who were airlifted from the roofs of their homes, about a third of the town's population. And 80, the percentage of the number of homes and businesses which were damaged by the wall of water. Kim wrote a blog post about the flood, which went viral, helping to shine a light on just how unprepared her community was. On November 14, the photographer got up at dawn to take a quad bike and dog to her neighbours to prepare for what she thought would be a pretty standard flood.
1: I had fortunately sold all of the lands that I had here three days beforehand, so I didn't have to worry about moving in stock. I'd taken my dog over to the neighbours uh, out of the flood just so that I didn't have to worry about her and then they'd also come over just picked up a mower and a few other things uh, a bike out of the shed just in case I got a bit of water in there <laughs> um, and we put a bit of other stuff up. I thought we had you know a few hours to go to prepare um, but This was all sort of happening at first light and um, I went down to another neighbour's place to borrow a tractor to shift a a bike that wouldn't start. And um, as we walked down to get the tractor at his place, he sort of looked across at the creek and just told me to get home or I wouldn't get home. Um, It was already here. And um, as I got back to my place, it was coming across the road. So this is about 6 o'clock in the morning. Still didn't think, you know, still thought it was just going to be a normal type flood. And, yeah, I'd sort of said to a neighbour that was coming back to get some stuff not to worry about it because he wouldn't get through. And, yeah, it was just ready to watch the flood from the safety of the house and I don't know how to describe it. It just kept coming. So it was really quick and I felt pretty silly by the time I started to ring for, for help. Um, because I, I still thought that this was a normal flood. I hadn't actually seen a big flood here, so I was still thinking that this is all normal. I um, called our local SES just to see if they had a boat so they could come and get me, which sounds ridiculous now after what had happened. Um, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't long before I was trying to ring them back, saying that you know don't don't come out here in a boat. It's not going to get here. Uh, a chopper would be the only way I was going to get out. Um, and the phone service kept dropping out, so I wasn't sure if that message had got through and ended up on the phone to triple zero, which um, that stayed connected, thankfully, and that, so I was sure that there was help help coming. So I was airlifted out at just after 8.30, so that's sort of how quick it, it came.
0: What could you see from the house?
1: All I can remember seeing, it was like an ocean. It was like being in the ocean when it got to a, a really bad point. You know, you could sort of see where the where the main road runs there was you know there were waves coming across that it just yeah it just looked like the house was was floating on the ocean I guess and you know, things were hitting the house it would shudder and yeah I was sort of trying to work out whether I should be diving off the veranda to float away or so I didn't really want to be in a house when, if it went and I was pretty sure it was going to just for the way things were were happening so it was a miracle it didn't but yeah that that's that's sort of how you can it's the only way to describe it. it was like an ocean.
0: You are a photographer and had the presence of mind to capture just how extraordinary that amount of water is it was like a tsunami and you could you can see just how fast it was traveling because of the 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 ripples and the um the waves just outside your veranda.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You do describe in your blog that you Thought. Oh my God, maybe this is my last day. I mean, can you can you describe to me what that is like?
1: Ah, uh, it's a it's a it's a weird thing. I, you know, I was thinking about whether I should be sending messages to my family, but then also, you know, maybe I shouldn't be worrying them because, it, like, it, because it's it's it'll be fine. Like you sort of, you chop and change between, you know, no, this is going to be fine. to no, it's not. So. <laughs> I don't know, it's a funny thing, it's a hard thing to describe but, um, yeah, I guess the relief when I heard the chopper was immense. Mm. I guess I really didn't know, you just don't know what's going to happen and every time the house would shake or something would hit it, you'd sort of think that, yeah, this might be might be it.
0: Did the water come into the house?
1: Yeah, so my house is sort of up on stilts anyway um, but it, it did come into the house and I'd only sort of jokingly said to the neighbour much earlier that, you know, Wonder if it'll come in the house? And he said to me, "You know, if it goes in your house, I'm in a world of trouble down here. Like, don't be ridiculous, type thing." I mean, that—that's really the first point where I could acknowledge that no, this is definitely not a normal thing. And when the chopper got to me, we needed to go and find him as well because you know I was wondering where he was going to be if it was coming in my house. So it sort of started coming, yeah, leaking in through skirting boards at one end, and thankfully it didn't come in too deep. I—I sort of got out not long after it started coming in, but um. Yeah, that was a, a frightening thing, really. I started putting a few things up out of the way, my camera gear and other a few other odds and ends that seem really strange at the moment. But um, I sort of gave up on that because I just thought, this house isn't going to be here, what am I doing? So I didn't end up putting many things up at all. But, yeah, when the, when the chopper did get here, it was, <laughs> yeah, the relief is, is immense. You don't know how these things work. I didn't know how they were going to get me. I figured I'd have to go out on the veranda and, you know, Get, get across to the guy that comes down out of the helicopter or something so I'd taken two steps out on my veranda to you know wave to them and say I'm here and when I turned around I was almost slipped off the veranda so um then I was sort of you know didn't know how I was going to get to them so I was looking at the I don't know you kind of paralyzed with fear your brain's not working properly mm-hmm. I guess and I'm just looking at the front door wondering how on earth I was going to get to him and he popped up in a lounge room behind me so he's um yeah um got down and come through the back uh veranda door so yeah it was big relief to see him turn up
0: oh my god you would have just wanted to kiss the guy the um pretty in, much <laughs> in moments like that like it's just it's very hard to comprehend unless you've been through an experience like that and that sort of um level of crisis where you really think things could go very pear-shaped very quickly do things distill in your brain in terms of what's important in life, or are you just thinking, "How am I going to get out?" You know that lizard part of your brain kicking in.
1: I think that what's important in life stuff kicks in afterwards mm. during the cleanup. You know, you're cleaning up all these things that, in the end, don't matter. Like you've got all this stuff around you that you're trying to save, and you just, you know, it just doesn't matter. So I don't, that sort of didn't click in until afterwards but um yeah in the I don't know I just remember being sort of yeah I don't know paralyzed I guess mm. my brain sort of stopped working and yeah I don't know it was weird I still you know still thought to take that um that last photo where the water's sort of halfway up my veranda post, but yeah when I look back at it now I, I don't know how I had the even the presence of mind to take that photo because I was sort of yeah paralyzed is how I describe it so mm. yeah
0: and for um just to be able to visualize this, like the Ugara flood peaked at eleven point two meters, so the the height of the water it really is like a wall of water
1: here at least there was there was two really fast rises, and the second one was about a meter in about fifteen minutes so and it was just travelling so fast I mean the peak usually takes five to six hours to get from my place into town, which is about nine kilometers um but on this day, it was there in less than an hour and a half, I still, I mean, it's probably a ridiculous thing to feel, but I still feel guilty that I never, even though I was talking to the SES, I guess, to try and get some help, I I never had the thought to, of what it would mean for town, and I never, you know, never thought to ring anybody um, in town to, to say, I don't know, to get out. <laughs> it was, I, like, it was sort of over a metre higher than it had ever been uh, in town, and People were told to evacuate, but I guess particularly a lot of the older generation didn't you know, they'd never seen water get anywhere near their homes. So they, mm. you know, you discounted that, you didn't, you know, it's not gonna come here. And then, you know, half an hour later they were nearly drowning. So yeah, it was just so fast and so so big. There was sort of there was just no time for people to react, I guess.
0: And that's something that's certainly not your fault, like you were in the moment trying to survive. It's not uh, yeah it, it's not your responsibility to think that that was in any way your fault or your doing,
1: yeah, and uh logically, I know that, <laughs> but you still feel i don't know, I just it's funny in a in a tiny little town, you know everybody and they're all your friends, and I don't know you still feel a sense of responsibility, even though logically I know that I really couldn't have done much, but yeah, it's mm. a funny thing
0: <laughs> mm, no, I think it's really understandable and super valid, Kim. Um, Like you say, it is such a a tight-knit community and when a township is that small. I mean, but it's such an interesting thing to be, to have what you feel, I imagine, to be felt by such a collective because 150 people were airlifted from their roofs that day. Mm -hmm. And that's a a third of the township. So nearly every single person was affected in the town.
1: Yeah, and there were, you know, there were so many people that didn't get airlifted that in any other situation would have been. It's just that they couldn't get to them. You know, there were people on the backs of semi-trailers um all day with little kids and little like you know, little babies and um people stuck in their houses until the next day. I think when you, when we when we talk about it to people that, that weren't here and didn't experience it, it's really hard to explain the the level of trauma that has that has happened in our town. It wasn't just you know, I've had people say to me, oh, you know, we've heard you had a bit of a flood out there, and it wasn't. Yeah, that's not what it was. Mm. <laughs> it was uh, extremely traumatic, and I think everybody in town has been affected, whether they were in, in the flood-affected area or not, because even if they were living up on the hill, they're still watching what's happening to, you know, your friends and family in town. And we lost two really important members of our community. So, yeah, everybody, the whole town's affected. So
0: It's so deeply distressing on a, a visceral level, and you talk mm. about post-traumatic stress disorder kind of on a um on a, on a collective level everybody's experiencing that i mean how how is that playing out now in the town
1: five um, months later it's a hard one i we are making progress some people have been able to get back into their homes, not a lot yet you know i've got people living in caravans or we've got temporary housing coming i guess even the cleanup afterwards was just as traumatic because it's you know, I was quite fortunate here. I didn't lose a lot of stuff. It was more business-related stuff that I lost. But people in town, that you know, they've lost their whole lives. Really, mm. they've had water through their house two meters high. So everything's gone. Your photos, your everything, your treasure. So that clean-up process was probably just as traumatic for them. I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to to explain what it's like now. But um, we are moving forward. But people are still struggling. I guess you comprehend what's happened and, and how they're going to rebuild, I guess.
0: What was it like when you went back to the farm? I mean, what sort of shape was it like that first time?
1: So I've been elected to park, so I couldn't get back across this side of the creek. So that day after we, so I remember walking sort of up to the showground. I don't know what I was doing. Just had to be doing something, I guess. So <clears throat> was walking up there in a bit of a daze, looking at the damage, you know, houses swept away where there was no water had ever been before. And then uh, a friend sort of picked me up in town and and brought me out here to see what was happening. And I had had word that, that my house was still here, which I was quite relieved about. But when we got out here, it was like someone had just taken a big brush and just wiped everything else away. All the fences were gone. Some of the trees were gone. Sheep and cattle yards, well, sheep yards were gone. The cattle yards were in a big pile. It was just, yeah, I don't know. It was it was just, yeah, everything was gone. I didn't sort of, quite hard to take in, I guess. Because, mm. you know, you worked you worked really hard to build something on your farm. It's not just your home. You've worked really hard to get the farm to to the point that it's at and to see it all just gone is, um, yeah, really hard thing to, to comprehend. You just don't even know where to start. I had so many offers of help and I just, I don't know, you couldn't sort of, I just say,
0: look, thanks. I don't know what I need. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Kim, I'm so sorry. It's so shit. It's mm. um, yeah. it's, it's a really, really shit thing that you went through and that everyone in your mm. girl went through. And that's just as as bare as it is. I mean, that's what you come down to. Mm. Um, but, you yeah. know, in in those moments of real crisis, like people, the best of humanity really is shown as well. What were some of the stories of the heroes of, of that time, the people who, did some incredible things or really went out of their way to help others
1: oh there's so so many stories the ones that spring to mind is a couple of teenagers in town one's 18 one's 16 they went around and saved a lot of people it's in their youth <laughs> you know these two kids just really stepped up and saved a lot of people they're quite amazing There's is just so many stories it's it's hard to pick one out I guess after it happened I mean on the Tuesday, I think everyone was still sort of still in shock and word was still getting out. But by the Wednesday, people from all over the place just turned up with machinery and cleaning gear. And I think no one's got any idea how many people were here, but it, feel, it felt like thousands and thousands. You could hardly move in town for, for people and machinery and vehicles. And yeah, the amount of people that, that turned up to, to help with the cleanup was just, was just incredible. So for yeah, for two weeks or more, it was, yeah, it was just crazy with people in town just helping people clean out ripped your rock off it was wet you know all that sort of stuff and then I was I sort of look after a lot of the social media pages for Ugarra community groups and then I was getting so many offers of help coming in through those pages that um on the Wednesday I was I just sort of yeah decided that that's the way the best way I was going to help was to try and coordinate all that stuff so yeah since then I've been at the showground the town um which was our sort of evacuation centre and now recovery centre, helping out with donations, coordinating donations and, and the, you know, they give it flood appeal and helping our residents, you know, come in and get vouchers for household items that they need. So, yeah, that's sort of what's been happening since.
0: So how does that, um, that actually work and, and what do people in Ugaran need now?
1: We had a lot of support um, in the early days. we donated items like clothes and food and that sort of thing. We've probably progressed past that now and, and we really just need funds which goes into our give it, give our flood appeal and that way we can, um, you know, someone can come in and request all the things that they've lost as far as white goods, furniture, bedding, clothes, all that sort of stuff uh, and we can fund vouchers to local businesses so that they can go and purchase those things. It gives them back a little bit of control too because you've lost all control of everything when uh when you've had two of water through your house so to have that little bit of control base to go and choose something that's going to suit you and your home is uh, is a really good thing as well but that's um yeah that's how that works
0: and in terms of the rebuilding because 80 percent of the the homes in ugara were affected how is that going and and what's the the road to recovery looking like there
1: support from government's been really good on that on that level um We had um, over 100 caravans arrive in the first few weeks to get immediate, you know, immediate shelter for people. And now that's like the next stage is these little modular buildings that can go on on your block while you rebuild your house. So uh, people can have those for around two years. So that's the next sort of stage that's happening. And, yeah, sort of demolitions are starting on, I think, around 28 homes that will need to be demolished. So that's starting to happen um and then yeah people are just working on rebuilding their homes which you can imagine when there's over 200 houses that need rebuilding that that's a really slow process because Mm. you can't get tradies or not everybody can get someone there to get that work done quickly so and you know not a lot of people were insured for flood because it was just $30,000 a year even if you weren't even if you'd never had water near your house before so yeah, that's where the, the need for funds comes in. Whatever we can help people with allows them to spend a bit more on repairing the house. So.
0: In that sort of experience, like the, it's a bit of a vicious cycle, isn't it, because people couldn't afford to insure to against flood, but then you're rebuilding for mm-hmm. everything. So it's not like you can leave or really start again because what are you starting again with? You're not selling your house yeah. and taking that money and going somewhere else.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. If you purchase a house that's above a 1 in 100 year flood level, yeah. Where, you know, you would imagine you'd be safe and, yeah, this was just so much bigger than that. So. Yeah.
0: Along comes a one in 5,000-year flood and you just think, well.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Get your ark.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Saying that, um, you know, it was after, during the cleanup that things really distilled in, as to what was important. What what really sprang to mind to you uh, in the aftermath of the flood?
1: Um, just that people were important and not all the things we surround ourselves with. You know, I love books and I have a bookcase there full of books that I've read that I'll probably never read again, but I just, you know, I've held on to them because they're a good book. But when the helicopter was here and I opened the door to go out and wait them, the spray from that had gone all over these books and I was starting to get mouldy. And I just looked at them and thought, it's just not even, why have they even got these? Like, it's just not even important. I'm cleaning up all these things that just, they don't matter. So it became quite easy on some level to start throwing things out that, you know, I thought were important, but just aren't. Like, you're looking after people. Is this the important um, important thing in life, I think?
0: That's the kernel of it all, isn't it? And mm-hmm. how is Yugara yeah. going? I mean, as a community, how would you describe Yugara?
1: Oh, it's amazing. People just, it didn't matter who, who it is, who got on with who, who, nothing mattered after this had happened. Everyone was on the same level. We'd all been through the same thing and everyone I just got in and helped everyone else, and it's still like that. It's just it's such a tight knit community. I mean, we were before, but now we're we really are tight knit, and we're just getting in and getting things done. You know, we have had comments that we're ahead of maybe other communities that have gone through things like this, which makes us you know makes you really proud of your town, and your community that we've been able to get in and get on with things to a to a certain level and just help each other out. And that'll that'll be going on for a long time. It's going to be at least sort of twelve or eighteen months before we anywhere back to being normal, back to normals. We are really truly looking after each other, which is really good.
0: And for you with your house, uh, you're looking at, did you end up moving it or is that something you're still looking into, into doing?
1: Um, I still want and need to, but it just depends on whether I can actually afford to. <laughs> yeah, trying to get the farm back up to a level that it can operate again is, taking uh most of the the finances so um yeah it's definitely still something that i that i want to do i mean where this house has been built it's the rate the water comes through here i just, i don't want to go through that ever again and i we're probably never going to see an event like that before, again but it's happened once so yeah i just don't want the risk i mm-hmm. guess so yeah i'm still working on doing that it's just not sure when
0: and on a practical sense on the farm what is your priority list where are you what are you working through
1: Uh, So, fencing um, is the priority. There was, I think, 400 metres of fence left on the whole place. Everything else was just gone. So, I was very lucky that some contractors were working up the road um, that could fit me in enough to get boundary fences and things done. There's a little bit left to do before I can get stuck back here, but seeing the progress is really good. (laughs) And then, you know, I need to replace sheep yards and watering points, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's that's a big task. And I've only got a small farm there. You know, there's people around here that have lost 100, well, 100 kilometres of fencing as well as whatever else. So farms along the creek and the river here have really taken a big hit.
0: And stock numbers as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was oh, so fortunate that I'd sold all my lambs the week before it happened. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, that all would have been gone. So I've got neighbours that have lost quite a few sheep well as you know machinery and fencing it's, it's a big scale of, of loss
0: so what drew you to to write the blog about the about that day
1: oh, I just needed to get it out I think I um, think that was about three weeks after it had happened that I wrote that and I felt so much better after I'd got that out I just okay I, I kept getting you know a few messages asking how I was going and I just well, the best way to do this is just to put a, a post up about it but yeah the post ended up being a blog um and yeah I just I just needed to get it out I felt. <laughs> Yeah, felt like I was just spewing things out on onto paper, but um, bit of a mental health thing, I think to get that out at the time.
0: And what was the response like?
1: Oh, the response was huge. Um, I had so many um, really beautiful messages, calls, emails, and then quite a few. People went shopping on my website as well, which which really helped me at the time. So, yeah, that hand up was, was amazing as well. So I'm, um, yeah, forever grateful for that support that people gave me at the time.
0: Well, that is one thing that people, other than donating to the Give It Fund, I mean, Kim has some very beautiful photography books. So if anybody needs a coffee table book for a, a, a Christmas gift or a gift for yourself, then highly recommend jumping on her website.
1: Thanks, Emma. It's definitely a hand up for a small business that's gone through something like this, that, that you can go and purchase something from them. So very much appreciate
0: Well, Kim, I imagine it, it can't have been easy to relive that experience and, and walk me through that. So I really appreciate your time and, and for helping to give an insight into such a, such a catastrophic event, but it's so important to do mm-hmm. so, so that we have some understanding and, and can hopefully help in any way
1: yeah thank you so much jim for having me on it was really great to shine another light on on what's happened here. Yeah, i guess thank everyone for their support so far too which has been amazing
0: because the media cycle moves so quickly you know you were on the headlines for a blip and then it's gone and then you don't hear anything about it so it's uh the, the struggle goes on and the the road to recovery is long so yeah it's been fantastic to talk to you i really appreciate it kim thanks Em. It never fails to amaze me how quickly life can change. Homes lost, a lifetime of precious possessions upended, employment inextricably altered, an imagined future completely shifted in a matter of days, hours, or minutes. What really drove home to me after chatting to Kim was how quickly these massive events drop from the news cycle, and yet their effects are felt so deeply by those impacted for months and even years later. But in the worst of times, the best of humanity is often seen. That always rises like cream to the top. Yugara is tough, and its people are even tougher, bounded by the experience last November. Thank you for getting this far in. We love you for your support. Spread the life and the land word by sending an episode to your loved ones and share on your socials. Every share helps raise awareness of our storytelling. Until next time, keep well. My name is M. Herbert and this is a Grazy Herb podcast.